Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, welcome you all this morning. We're going to start into the text of uh, of First John this morning. I know some of you weren't here last week when we did the uh, the introduction to First John. So just to kind of briefly give some 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 sense of a of what the book is about and what is going on here with John. John the John the the Apostle John did not start writing until late in his life. Uh, this book was probably written between eighty five and ninety A.D. Um, he was probably well in. He was probably eighty-ish when he wrote this book. He died. I, I kind of looked it up to try to figure out exactly what his age was when he, when he, when he uh, left this planet, and uh, uh, it went anywhere from eighty-eight to ninety-nine. Uh, with most people settling in on about 93. So that seems about right. He died right about the turn of the century, uh, right at the end of the first century. He wrote the book of Revelation in 98 AD. So uh, he, was, he, was, he was an older man, which kind of explains uh, his little pet name for the believers that he wrote to, my little children. Uh, any of you who are getting on in years, you know that everybody younger than you is a kid. <laughs> so, uh, so at any rate, at any rate, uh, we still call our sons who are in their mid thirties kids. So anyway, um, uh, that's kind of the uh, kind of the uh, where John was in his life. He, he wrote later in life, and uh, he wrote this epistle somewhere around eighty five A.D. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the the epistle was written at a time when he was he was in Ephesus. Uh, when he wrote this, uh, he was uh, 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 he probably sent this letter around uh, all the churches of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. It's probably the same churches plus maybe some others that are listed in Revelation chapter two, two and three. Uh, those all of those churches were in this general area. It was a general epistle. It was not written to a specific congregation per se. It was written to the church in general. Uh, at the time, there was a encroaching, let's say, heresy uh, that in the second century would become full-blown Gnosticism. Uh, It's generally referred to in the era of John as insepid Gnosticism. It It hadn't developed fully, but it was being taught. It was basically a philosophy that comes out, well, it was basically a view that came out of Greek philosophy, primarily Plato. It had a dualistic view. Uh, it, uh, it, it had two primary um, uh, uh, teachings, I guess you would say, or schools of thought. Uh, the, the one that John seems to address in the four verses that we're going to be talking about this morning is dotectic um, uh, Gnosticism, which basically what they taught, was, the idea, the Greek philosophy was, is that anything that was matter, you know, i.e. the body, uh, was bad, and anything that was spirit was good. Uh, therefore, God could not become a man. That was the basic basic idea. Uh, there was no way God could have taken on flesh because then God would have associated with evil. Uh, they saw in the in the Greek view of things, they saw creation somewhat as a, a, a system of uh, or man, in, in any rate, as a uh, and God re- and any relationship to man as a system of emanations that came from the God, and each one each one kind of 
move themselves a little bit farther away. And uh, in some of the full-blown Gnostic teaching of the second century, Jesus was seen that way as just one of those emanations. The dodectic Gnosticism that John is talking about, however, uh, had the view that Jesus didn't become a man. He was a phantom. He was a spirit. He was what scripture would refer to as a theopany, the appearance of deity. It was a prolonged theopany. It lasted for three years uh, that, uh, that he just appeared, uh, but he didn't possess a real physical body. Uh, that's, that was the teaching that was coming around. There's another form of Gnosticism that basically taught that a man named Jesus, who was born in Nazareth of Joseph and Mary, he was their natural child, that the spirit came upon him, the spirit of Jesus came upon him at his baptism and left at the crucifixion. Uh, but he never was a real man. He was just, he was some kind of possessed individual is, I guess, the idea you would say. Well, this is the encroaching the encroaching um, uh, heresy that is starting to creep into the church. It's not developed yet. It doesn't have its full-blown nature that the second century would have. But it, uh, but it certainly was a, a viewpoint that was affecting believers and it was upsetting them. You understand that either of, the, of, either of those forms of Gnosticism, any form of Gnosticism, uh, basically negates salvation. God had to become a man, a real, true, physical man, in order to pay the penalty of your sin. It's the only way it could happen. And he had to be holy God in order to do it because no man is righteous and could have taken the, could have taken the penalty himself. The two are not, they, they, cannot, be, they cannot be separated. Uh, we noted in the note that theologically it's called a hypostatic union, that, that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Two natures, one person, they never intermingled. Those, that's, that's the teaching. That's the traditional historic teaching, which the Gnostics denied. So to that uh, is, is the cause that John writes. The form of the book, uh, we talked about this last week, is not so much like Paulinian in his books where he, he took a topic and he wrote on that topic for a chapter or two or maybe three or four. But anyway, where he, he exhausted the idea, and then moved on to the next item on his list, and then on to the next item, i.e. the Book of Romans, in which basically uh, the first eight chapters of the Book of Romans are a systematic theology. That's what, that's what they are. Uh, but uh, but uh, John doesn't do that. John picks up a concept, and he gives some information about that concept. And then he moves to another concept, and he gives some information about it to another, and gives some information about it. And then in the next chapter, he picks those concepts up and adds to them, and adds to them, and adds to them. And he does that in the next chapter, and in the next chapter, and in the next chapter. So basically, what most uh, scholars say is John wrote in a tightening spiral. So it's really hard to outline the book, because his points are in every chapter. Uh, so at any rate, in these first four verses, 
He's going to talk about the word of life. That's going to be the main focal point that he's going to talk about. And the word of life, and he's going to define the word of life as eternal life, ultimately. It's the gospel. Uh, and it's the full gospel, the full true gospel. So uh, that's where we're going to be going this morning as we, as we look at this. It kind of gives you some idea of why the book was written, what was going on at the time it was written, when it was written. And of course, it was. There's actually there is uh, up until the era of the so-called higher critics. I don't know what they were higher in. They weren't higher in their theological knowledge. But at any rate, um, the the higher critics in the 1700s and 1800s. This book was never challenged by its authorship. Every church father just knew it was written by by John, including some of the really early ones like Polycarp, who studied under John and said, yeah, John wrote it. That's basically the bottom line. So there's no debate on this. There's no real debate on this book whatsoever. So at any rate, uh, do we have any prayer requests before we get started this morning? And then we'll get into the text here in just a minute. David, could I ask you to open us this morning? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have uh, provided to us, given to us to come and hear your word, to, to gather again, uh, to demonstrate our faith and our, our love and worship uh, for you. Thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for John as he reveals your apostles' letter to us. Thank you that we have the word of life. We have we have the same teaching our apostles did, the same teaching that you delivered to them to deliver to us. Amen. Because of that, we get to share in the same glory that they are now experiencing. We get to see you and behold you and be with you. So today we, we ask that you would prepare our hearts uh, to receive this word and to grow by it. And we also are grateful to be together, gathered to worship you in just a few minutes and as the body of Christ. Thank you for this. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen what with our eyes, what we have beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest and it was seen and we have seen and bear and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifest to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. All these thi- And these things we are writing so that our joy may be made complete. So that's, uh, we're going to take then, first of all, verse 1. Uh, the word of life is, is from the beginning. He starts out by saying, what was, or literally it, it would read in the Greek, that which is, or that which was, excuse me, um, what would be an accurate translation of it. It's not who. Uh, there are some translations that start this who. Uh, this word, this beginning, does not refer to the person of Christ. It requires, it re- it, 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 it speaks to the content. It speaks to it speaks to uh, the message, because it goes on to say concerning the word of life. Uh, that's 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 the idea here. Uh, he's basically saying uh, that which was from the beginning, the word of life. That's that's what he's saying as, as he as he writes this text. Uh, it's not it's not a personal it's not a personal indication here, but it's the message is concerning the word of life. John is saying uh, what he's referring, referring to here is the revelation of God, the, the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, the gospel. 
That's that's uh, that's his point here. It's not it's not like in the beginning, uh, John or, uh, John one one one, where he talks about in the beginning. Uh, where Jesus was from eternity past. There he's talking about Jesus. It's not the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. It's, that's not the idea here. The idea here is while Jesus and God both, and this also speaks, those two verses speak to the fact that Jesus is eternal. Um, but nevertheless, uh, this, uh, this, 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 uh, this, particular, this particular passage here is talking about the gospel message which also is from the beginning, because Jesus, because God chose to save you before you ever were. He, in eternity past, He set the plan of redemption in motion, knowing full well what was going to happen. He chose who He was going to elect, and and by that, uh, so redemption was set in in motion. So He's saying He's saying here the gospel message. From the beginning, the, the redemptive plan of God from the beginning. And he says, we heard it. And, and, and now he's making it more personal. It is, it is the person of Jesus who is the word of life that he is going to talk about here now. He says, but that was from the beginning. This whole plan was absolutely from the beginning. Uh, John... Uh, uh, and, and you notice he says it's from, not in, uh, which is, is something that he's going to use throughout First John. He uses it in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, 13, 14, and 28, and, and 3, uh, 3, 8, and 3, 11. And all those verses, he goes from, he talks about it came, it shows where it came out from here in this play, in this, in this instance. He, he says that he, he's talking here, his point here is the divine revelation, which discloses the, the, the history of, recorded in the Old Testament that teaches the eternal existence of the Son. Uh, and he's basically saying, therefore, therefore, the, Jesus, the eternal Son, is in fact God the Son. Uh, John 8, uh, chapter 28, Jesus said, and Jesus is quoted in Hebrews 1, 8, or excuse me, also Hebrews 1, 8, John 8, 58, which where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, and meaning his eternal existence. That's what that's what this is pointing to. John starts right off with talking about the the fact that Jesus is God. That's what he's saying here. He's saying he, he's saying that he was from the very beginning. He is he has always been, and basically said. He's going to go on now to say say that Jesus, with that statement, that the, the biblical record is this, that, that Jesus made his dwelling among us, which he's going to say in John one fourteen. John one fourteen reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as if the only begotten, uh, begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's setting off right away. This man, Jesus, was God. That's that's what he's setting right in the very the very beginning of this book, uh, which flies in the face of the Gnostic teaching. He's saying this is the truth, and he's saying the gospel message concerning the word of life is permanent and unalterable. Revelation chapter twenty-two verses eighteen and nineteen. Don't add to and don't take away. 
this is the word of God. Uh, John gives information about the message. Here he's going to go on and he's going to now give us some information about the message, how it was received, or, or from whom that he received it, what he knows about him. He's going to give us some personal information about uh, about that uh, those events. And he's talking about the life and ministry of Jesus in these next ones as related to the apostles being with him. And he says, he says, which we have heard. Jesus, what John is saying here is, we heard him speak. We heard the actual words. We heard the word of life telling us the words of life. That's, that's what he's saying here. We heard it with our ears. We listened to him. Is the idea that he wants us to understand. Uh, <clears throat> the apostles were with Jesus three years. Uh, they were intimately involved with him. They traveled with him. They stayed with him. He taught. I'm sure that the teaching they received is far more than what is just recorded for us. Uh, they were with him day and night. And he, and he is saying here, we heard him. We heard what he had to say. They were with him from the time of his baptism till his ascension. Acts 1, 21 through 22. Uh, they were there. Uh, they witnessed, and, and in John's case, he witnessed the transfiguration as well, when, when the deity broke through the humanity, and he saw it. He witnessed it. Uh, so he's saying, we, we're going to go on to that in a minute. We, I kind of jumped ahead one. But anyway, he, he heard it. We heard the message. We listened to Jesus. We intently listened to Jesus. He says, we heard the words, and, and we saw the works of life. Uh, from creation through redemption in Christ, his parables, his sermons, his private instructions, we heard. Incidentally, this is a perfect tense word. Uh, perfect tense words mean that it was something that happened in the past that has an ongoing uh, effect. He says, we heard it, and it still is embedded in our minds, and we live by it. That's the idea here. Uh, that's what a perfect tense verb means in the Greek. It's something that happened in the past, but it has immediate effect and a continuing effect is, is the idea that, he, that he's saying here. And then he goes on, and, and then we have, we have Jesus, in, or excuse me, we have John and Peter as they stood before the Sanhedrin, and, and they basically told the Sanhedrin, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard, Acts 4.20. In other words, they had to go on. This so impressed them, they could not be silent. Incidentally, that's what the gospel should do to all of us. It should make us so impressed that we can't be silent. Uh, we, we speak up. Only make sure you know what you're talking about when you open your mouth. That's, that's, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I'm amused every once in a while. You'll see somebody write something in the paper, and they quote some scripture, and they write all about it, and go, that's not what it said. <laughs> you know, but anyway, <laughs> totally wrong applied, but so know what you're talking about. Anyway, uh, they were instructed by the instructor. That's, that's basically what he's saying here. And then he goes on, and he says, what we have seen with our own eyes. He kind of is redundant here. He goes, we looked at him with our eyes. You know, this I saw him through these eyes. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. And this is another perfect tense verb, which means it was a completed action that has a present impact on on John. And and he he adds, with our own eyes. He wanted it to be very clear. He physically saw not a vision in his mind, not a phantom. He saw a human being. That's what he's saying here. I saw him. 
He saw a real person. It wasn't a mystical spirit. It wasn't an aberration. He saw Jesus physically, bodily, with his own eyes. And once again, he is he is correcting or the uh, the dolectics teaching here. He's saying no, he wasn't. He wasn't a phantom. He was real. He was a, a real person. He says, "I was an eyewitness to that." That's what that's what he's wanting them to understand. And he says, and then he goes on. He says. What we, uh, what we beheld and touched with our own hands. Beheld is the same verb that is used in, in John 1, 14, where he says, we beheld. Uh, speaking of, uh, he says, we beheld, <clears throat> sorry, we beheld his glory. Uh, John beheld his glory. That's what he's saying here. We beheld Jesus. We beheld who he was. Oh, incidentally, the next verse that I have there, and I forgot, I forgot, it is not John 4.14, it's, uh, sec- it's 1 John 4.14, where he wrote, where he wrote, We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's, 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 what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what John is saying here. We saw, we saw him, we, we beheld him. We, this is a far more intense word uh, that he's saying here. It wasn't a quick look. It was a stare, if you will. It was a, it was a searching gaze. Uh, it was an investigative look, not just a mere glance. Uh, you know, it wasn't just a, a passing, oh, I saw him walk by. It was, we gazed upon him is the idea here. Uh, we beheld He's saying that he had intently watched Jesus over the three years. Uh, They beheld Jesus' power over disease, over demons, over nature. nature. They saw him forgive sin. And they understand, and John is going to go on to teach, that he understood that he is the giver of eternal life. And, And then he says, not only did we behold him, but we touched him with our hands. Uh, this is a word that means to feel after. It has the idea of a blind man groping in the dark for something and getting his hands on it. That's, that's the picture here. Uh, that we, we physically touched him is what, he is what he's wanting to understand, what he was wanting them to understand here. Uh, it's used, it's used of Jesus, it's, uh, it's used, uh, Jesus uses it in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, where he says, See my hands and my feet. That it is that it is I myself touch me and see for uh, and see a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Uh, this is post resurrection when he's still in a physical body. His glorified body was still a physical body. Uh, this is where he invited the divided the, the invited them to to touch him and see that he was real. Uh, that's that's the that's the point here. It's the same verb used in both places here. Uh, John said that he leaned against Jesus in John thirteen twenty three and twenty five. Jesus told Thomas to touch him post resurrection. John twenty verse twenty seven. It points to the fact that Jesus had a real body. B 
before the resurrection and after the resurrection. He was in a in a real physical body, not a not a disembodied spirit, not a phantom, uh, not just a spirit that appeared. That's he was real. And then he then he goes on to say concerning the word of life. He says, "What was from the beginning? What we heard? What we have seen with our own eyes? What we beheld and touched with our hands? Concerning the word of life." That's the next thing he says. He says, the word of life, which takes us back to the beginning, that which was, or what, the word of life. That's, that's the subject here, the word of life. And, and, he, and he's talking about the complete gospel message, the word that became flesh, John 1 to, uh, 14 again. The, the, uh, uh, the, the word John used to describe Jesus in, in 1 1 and 14 and 1 John 1 and Revelation 19 3. That's how Jesus is described, the word. Jesus speaks the words of God with authority, reveals the word of God, and testifies to man as to what he has seen. And John here is testifying to what he has seen and heard, and that which he bears witness. Jesus said those same words in John 3, verse 32. He bears witness to what the Father has revealed. He he says he reveals the message of life. This message possesses life, and it is shared. It's a life uh, that is for those who come to him by faith. That's what he's saying here. He's going to describe the life in the next verse, but right now he he just puts it in these terms. The word of life. Uh, Jesus is the life giver. That's the idea that he's wanting him to note. Uh, And and he he, he says, says, he's basically saying to us here that he employed all of his senses. He employed his sight. He employed his hearing. He employed his touch. To to understand to to uh, to know the reality that Jesus, who is the Word of Life, who is divine, is also real. That's that's what he's saying. He's not he's not a spirit. He's not a phantom. He was really a man. God came in the flesh, incarnate. That's the idea. And then he goes on, and he's going to develop this thought of the word of life now. And as you come to, as you come to, <clears throat> as you come to verse two, he, he says, "And the life was manifest." Manifest is a word that uh, means to reveal, to make visible something that is hidden, to make known what already exists, whether visible or invisible. Uh, that's that's what he's talking about here. He's going to talk about the the word, <clears throat> the word of life being made manifest. But what he is doing in this particular section, depending on what version or what uh, what translation you're using, uh, if you're using a King James, there's a parenthesis around this, regular parenthesis around this verse. If you're using an NASB or uh, an EVS or uh, LSB, I don't know what else. Those are the only ones I looked. Those are the only ones I looked in. Well, no, I looked in the NIV also. But anyway, if you're looking at any of those, not the NIV, uh, you'll notice that at the close of verse one, there's a, a hyphen, a line, and at the close of verse two, there's another one. That's their way of putting a parenthesis around it. This is a parenthesis explaining more of of, of one, of, of verse one. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, if you left it out, the thought flows from 1 to 3. 
The thought just flows. He's giving added information in verse two. That's what that's what this is. He's giving added information. And he says, so he says, the word of manifest was <clears throat> was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you eternal life. That's what the word of life is. It's eternal life, a theme that will permeate the rest of this book. All the way through to chapter five when he tells us with with a Greek verb that we currently possess eternal life. You understand, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're eternal. I mean, yeah, you're going to die. Well, you might get translated at the rapture if, you, if it comes soon enough. But if not, you are going to physically die. But all that is is a transition of shedding this corrupted body for a glorious one. That, that's, that's what it amounts to. Because you are, the minute you receive Jesus Christ, along with all of those other things that happened to you at that instant, you also became eternal. You possessed eternal life. Eternal life is a quality of life, incidentally, because the wicked die eternally. Which doesn't sound, which sounds kind of silly, but the fact of the matter is that's what they do. They spend eternity dying. It never ends. But you spend eternity glorious in the presence of Jesus. And so he says, the word of life, which is eternal life, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's, that's what he's, that's what he's building, us on, building this on. He says, it was manifest. We saw it, and we bear witness to it, and we proclaim it. That's what he's saying here. And incidentally, notice too, he says, he, 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 he says it is the life. This is important in Greek. It's a definite article. It doesn't mean life in general, like we are alive. It means the life. It's very specific. It is a very specific life. And in this case, he defines it. It's eternal life. That's the life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That's what's being said here. Uh, you possess the life. That's what he came to give. John 5, 11 and 21. It calls attention to the fullness of life in Christ that we, that we now possess. Incidentally, this word manifest is also used by Paul in Colossians 3, 4, uh, where he is speaking of the, of the, of the, of the, uh, of the second coming, uh, when Jesus returns. In 3, 4, he says this, When Christ, who is our life, is manifest, then you also will be manifest with him in glory. In other words, we return with him. That's what Paul is teaching there. Uh, that's part of this eternal existence, uh, is eternity with Jesus Christ. He is a fuller explanation of eternal life, which was with the Father. And, and it's this word, uh, with, uh, the Greek word that is used there, is a word that, that, uh, that literally means face-to-face. That's literally what it means. In the face of, face-to-face. Uh, that's what with means. It doesn't mean I was just walking down the street. It means we're right here close. It's an intimate fellowship that is being being described here. It's a very intimate uh, uh, type of existence. And that's what he's saying here. He's, he's saying uh, the eternal life, which was with the Father, and the eternal life is Jesus. Understand, that's what he's saying. He's the word of life. He is the eternal life. He is the one he's talking about. He's basically saying 
the the Trinity was together, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But in this case, it's talking about the Son. He says he was together. Uh, John, First John, one twenty one. No, not excuse me, John. First John two one. If I could read my notes, I'd be better off. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. What the point there is, is Jesus is right there currently with God the Father advocating on your behalf. If any charge comes against you, he goes, I covered it. It's kind of a simplistic way of saying it, but that's literally what is happening here. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In other words, this is talking about the intimacy of the relationship. You understand, Jesus is saying here, only I know the Father fully, and only the Father knows me fully, except for those of you who I've decided to bring into the family. All of us. Believers, That's what he's saying. Uh, You know him too. You now have this same intimate fellowship is the idea uh, that he's wanting wanting them to understand. Uh, John is saying we witness and we proclaim. We announce. We give we give testimony to we. He witnessed the resurrection of Jesus in a glorified body. And he and he and he proclaims eternal life. Through Jesus, that's that's the idea he's wanting to express here. That's the added information to this word of life. And then he goes back to his main his main thought in verse three. <clears throat> I'm, I apologize. I am having a difficult time with my sinuses this week, and uh, <laughs> I'm not doing too well. Anyway, uh, anyway, he says here. In verse 3, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. As Jesus just, as we just saw in Matthew, he's, he's saying here, and then he goes on to say, and these things we write to you that your joy may be made complete. This is the purpose statement of verse 1 and the added information of verse 2. He says fellowship. Fellowship is the word koinonia. It's, uh, it's partaking. It's partnership. It's participation. Uh, it's an idea of a common cause uh, that is shared. In, in 1 Corinthians sixteen seven, it speaks of the of of of, of a mutual life. But the one uh, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. It's it's an intimate fellowship. It's not a oh hi how are you how are you doing today kind of thing over a cup of coffee. This is an involvement in one another's lives. This is knowing each other. This is uh, this is is being there for each other. It is a it is a a more than friendship kind of sense. It is it is a a participation with one another, an involvement with one another, working to a particular end with one another. Second Peter one four uh, says believers are partakers of the divine nature. That's what produces the fellowship. The fact that we we have we have a nature like his and then first John, John 3:9 says that believers participate in a personal relationship with God himself 3:9 reads 
Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because the seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. It speaks of a intimate family relationship. That's, that's what this fellowship speaks of. That's what Christianity is supposed to be. It is to be a, an intimate fellowship. And, and, he, and he, says, he says, what we have seen and what we heard we proclaim. That's what he says here. We proclaim it. And then he goes on to say, so that. That's, that's the purpose here. So that this fellowship that we just talked about may be a reality. This is why we proclaim Jesus. Uh, that you would come into the family, the fellowship, the like naturehood, and that we would be participants in one another's life. We would be there for one another. is 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 the idea here? And and he goes and he and he and he, and he says uh, he uses the verb to see, which he uses three times, which warn, which once again is warning off this false na- uh, teaching that denied the humanity of Jesus. John is saying, "I saw, I heard, I handled the incarnate Lord. We saw him." Uh, we we visibly visibly saw him. We know we have an intimate relationship with him. We know him. That's the idea here. Incidentally, the Gnostic teaching went on to uh, went on as it developed to basically say say that uh, you know you poor dummies don't really have the knowledge that we super saints do. So you need to be quiet and listen to us. That was the idea. That's not the teaching of scripture. The teaching of Scripture says we all have the same teacher. He's the Holy Spirit. And he's your real teacher. I mean, I'm just here trying to assist feebly. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is my teacher. He's your teacher. How we understand Scripture is because we have the Spirit of God. That, that's, that's how. It's the only way you can know Scripture. And, 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 and these people tried to teach a different thing. No, you had to have us. You had to have us super saints who had super epigenosis, super knowledge, beyond your ability. And, and John here is saying, oh, that's not true. We share in the nature. We have fellowship. We have fellowship. The Old Testament tells us that iron sharpens iron. Uh, the idea is believers rubbing against the, each other make each other sharper. That's the idea. We all need each other. That's the point. That's the point he's trying to say here. We have fellowship. <clears throat> and, we, and we may have fellowship with us, he says, that we would join in the apostolic witness, the word of God the reveal, uh, that is, that's revealed in the New Testament, that we, we all share in that. We all share in that. And, and we proclaim that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has appeared in human flesh. God became incarnate and dwelt among us. And then he goes on to, he says, the extent of this fellowship. He says, first of all, it's fellowship with the apostles. And to that extent, to all believers, it, it, we share in this fellowship with the church worldwide, it, it actually, is the, is the idea. Now, obviously, we don't know all those people, but nevertheless, we share in the church worldwide. This fellowship speaks of a mutual life and love for fellow believers. 1 Corinthians six seventeen, Ephesians 5, 30 through 32, all speak of that idea, that, that we have a mutual love for fellow believers. 
And he goes on and he goes on and he says, and the Father, 2 Corinthians 3, 13, uh, 13, 14, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. That's the idea here. We have a fellowship with the creator of the universe. You know, that's kind of an awesome thought. That's kind of a, an awesome thought. I am known by, and he wants me to know him intimately, the creator of the universe. That's, that's, that's what this is saying here. And then he goes on to say, and with the Son, Jesus, and with his Son, Jesus Christ, uh, the grammar st- stresses uh, the distinct form of the, of the Father, yet, yet he's one in essence, uh, or excuse me, the grammar here stresses that Jesus is distinct from the Father, but yet he is shared essence with the Father, which Christians partake of in fellowship. In other words, in other words, God is seen in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God. That's, 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 the, that's the, the teaching of the Trinity. But they share the same essence. In other words, when Jesus said in Philippians, he didn't think it was robbery to be called equal with God. He didn't see that because he was. That's who he is. He's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate. He's God the Son. He, first of all, he says, he goes, he goes on to say, he calls him the Son. Uh, Jesus is marked as the divine Son of God. That's the first thing he says. And then he gives his human name, Jesus, which means Lord of Salvation. And then he gives his Greek name, Christ, which is the Greek name for Messiah, which, which means God's anointed King and Deliverer. So he, so he is the Son of God, the Lord of Salvation, who is God's anointed. That's what you say when you say, say, say that, put it in that form. Uh, those, those are the things he's saying here. Jesus says the message is true, the person is real, the participation is genuine. That's what he's wanting us to know. The participation is genuine. And then in verse 4, he goes on with his final purpose statement, and one of his main purpose statements, there's four of these, where he says, and these things I am writing to you. In other words, I'm telling you this for this reason, so that our, so that our joy may be made complete. Now, depending on what translation you have, uh, it may say, your joy may be complete. There is some debate on how this should be interpreted. It really comes out the same, but nevertheless, the bottom line is this, the bottom line is this of why there is a difference in the translations, because there are some Greek texts that say "our" and some that say "your." The difference in those two texts is one Greek letter; otherwise, the word is spelled exactly the same. It's the letter, the first letter, which makes it "your" "our." Uh, otherwise, otherwise, and so both. Uh, excuse me. So otherwise. The rest of the letters are the same. So the, the theory is that some scribe was reading this and said, you know, that's hard to read that way. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe there's supposed to be a Y there. And, well, I don't know. It wasn't a Y, not an English Y. But anyway, in our sense, it was a Y. So we'll put a Y there in front of that and make it your. Because it reads better that way. That's the theory. I don't know if it's true or not. And they don't know if it's true or not. But the fact of the matter is... Mo- the, the the other thing about Greek grammar is you always take the easier reading. The easier reading would be our, 
Uh, in other words, the shorter reading, the reading that has the fewest letters, uh, because it's more, uh, usually scribes didn't leave out letters, they added them. So anyway, he, they're basically, that's basically what it's saying here. Uh, but that's not really the big issue here. Uh, the big issue is, is, is that he is writing them that the reality, the gospel, would bring joy and it would be fulfilled. Obviously, for the apostles, as for Bible teachers, for pastors, for anyone who's involved in any kind of, of ministry, if you're involved in children's ministry, if you're involved in adult ministry, if you're involved in a teenage ministry, seeing somebody grow in Christ and coming to fullness of their faith brings you joy. Oh, guess what? It brings them joy, too. You know, that's, that's, that's the bottom line here. Uh, that's, that's the bottom line. Uh, Jesus' point is the purpose here is that the message comparing the, the true person, Jesus Christ, the fellowship that salvation brings, gives us a shared joy. Uh, if all the uh, angels in heaven rejoice at one sinner repenting, what would, should we be doing? Uh, you know, that's that's really the bottom line here. It basically what it says is what he's trying to tell us is the true joy comes from understanding the reality of Christ, the salvation presented in the gospel, the fellowship with fellow believers, which is because of our fellowship with Christ and with and with the father. Um, John 17, verse 13, in his high priestly prayer, John wrote this. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that you, so that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. That's basically John introduces this book. As he introduces this book, he is simply saying to us, he's simply saying to us, I'm an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. I saw him. I listened to him. I touched him. I was there. I was there when he was baptized. I saw this, the dove descend upon him. I was there at the transfiguration when his divine deity broke through. I was there when they crucified him. Jesus, John was there. He was at the cross. He, he, I saw what happened there when it got dark. I heard his words from the cross. Three days later, I saw his resurrected body. I spent some time with him thereafter. I saw him ascend into heaven. Oh, incidentally, he's going to get to see him come back because he writes the book of Revelation. <laughs> but nevertheless, nevertheless, he says, I saw these things. I was there. I heard him. And I'm relating them to you. I touched him. He was real. Don't listen to this nonsense that he was some kind of disembodied spirit. Don't listen to this nonsense uh, that he was he was a man named Jesus, that the Spirit of God came on and then left. Uh, he was God incarnate, and I testify to that. And I testify to that so that all of us who have fellowship with each other and with Jesus and with the Father can, be, can, can all be joyful in His presence. That's, that's, what, that's how He's opening this book. That's how he's opening this book. And he's going to be, expand upon these, uh, uh, these teachings as he moves through. This is just his introduction. So, at any rate, are there any comments or questions this morning? It's a powerful book. It's a powerful book. Incidentally, as we go through, he's going to, John uh, is going to give tests to make sure you're a Christian. I enjoyed the, the idea of the blindness. 
because a blind person can only reach, but the, the, but the, in this case, Christ had to allow the touch. Yeah. Right. So yeah. For him, but he's like, I'll let you feel me. I'll yeah. I'll let you get close. Yeah. He wants. That's yeah. 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 It is. It's, it is a great word. Well, actually, we had done a little bit early. I've been trying to do that because I don't want to be in the way of choir people. <laughs> I got thrown out one time, you know. <laughs> at any rate, at any rate, not really. But anyway, let's close. Father God, we uh, we thank you this morning as we uh, as we have looked into this text, as we have looked into John telling us about the person of Jesus, uh, telling us about. He had heard, he had seen, he had touched, he had beheld, he had intensely gazed upon him. And telling us that he is real. He's, he, he is the real thing. He is, he is God incarnate. And he came to save. And he came to bring us joy in the fellowship that is ours with other believers, with he himself, and with the Father. And we don't know how to even begin to praise you for that or even begin to give you thanks for that, but, but to be found obedient servants, growing in Christ, and wishing to serve you with all of our heart and mind. And we would thank you now, and we would praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.